0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Very long stories, developing these characters. You're not sitting there for two hours, you're really sitting there for almost 13 or 14. And the stories are just better. The stories are just better because sometimes there are stories that are good enough and there are stories that are beautiful enough and stories that are true enough to not be rushed, to take your time to tell them. And I'll show my cards this morning. I think, and I only know some of your stories, I actually think every one of your stories that is true of. It's worth telling slowly because it's unfolding slowly. It's worth being curious and telling over a long, extended period of time because that is how our stories get told. The ups and the downs, not a lot of flash and smoke and special effects. Most of our lives lack any of that. And the stories of the people that we were invited to sit with this morning, both Abraham and Sarah, And the story of Nicodemus, we are in our readings this morning introduced to the very beginnings of their stories. One of the things I love about the scriptures is that all of the women and the men who are held up as people to look to are a mess. Y'all, a mess. A mess. You sit around a table sharing stories and people start to share stories and it sounds anything like Abraham? You're like, I don't know that we should invite them back over. (laughs) A religious leader comes in with the questions Nicodemus had and you're like, whoa, our pastor says he's a beginner, but this is bad. We're getting the very beginning of their stories. Stories that will take a lot of time to unfold. And stories that well beyond their story was finished being written continues to unfold with God and with God's friends. So I'm going to invite us to sit with both of these stories really in three movements. And the first movement is what I'm calling three stories in the dark night. Uh, The first is that of Sarah and Abraham. Today, we get a little bit of a hint of God coming to Abraham and choosing Abraham and beginning to unfold in coming chapters of this great process of making Abraham into a great and beautiful nation, a nation of God's friends. But this is chapter 12. The promise of how that's going to happen comes in chapter 18, and we don't see the beginning fulfillment of it until chapter 21. And Sarah and Abraham, when they receive this promise, are not exactly young. In fact, one translation, and I love this, calls them full of years. They are full of years, and they have no children. God comes to them in a place of barrenness. They're unable to have a child, and... In that day, culturally, it meant a loss of agency. It meant a loss of significance. But I could also imagine that spiritually, it brought everything about God into question. I think it would not do our own soul's service or their story's service to pretend that Sarah and Abraham believed it and said, well, if God said it, God will do it. Because the following chapters prove that they didn't believe that. They'll dehumanize a servant and a slave. Cross boundaries that should never have been crossed because they were anxious to bring about what God had promised. Nicodemus, later on, and we'll talk in a moment, will come to them, will come to Jesus in a night, but this place of barrenness that Sarah and Abraham find themselves in, both actual physical barrenness, but a barrenness of faith and of hope of instruction is also a dark night. That's the first story. The second story is that of Nicodemus. If Abraham and Sarah are in a place of barrenness, Nicodemus is in a place of confusion. Nicodemus, we're told, is a leader of the Pharisees. He's lived a life of prestige and education and ritual. He leads a life shaped around avoiding condemnation because in his bones, he believes he worships a God who condemns. He's a scholar, he's an expert. And somewhere along the way, he bumps into Jesus. Whether that's he heard Jesus' teachings, he sees the evidence of Jesus' miracles. And Jesus is causing Nicodemus to question everything. Nicodemus is full of years, and he's full of experience, he's full of everything that a Hebrew man, at least, in the first century would have wanted. And Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus is teaching, what Jesus is doing, Now I have to imagine getting in the room with him, the way Jesus was present with him is causing Nicodemus to question everything. And I doubt Nicodemus was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. There's doubt. There is fear. There is ignorance. That's why Nicodemus comes to him in the night. Plenty of Pharisees will come to Jesus during the day. There's something different about this. This might be my own projection on Nicodemus, but Jesus has a way of inviting us to return to being a beginner part of why I have recently started every sermon with that. It's my own quiet rebellion against this becoming a place of expertise, having it all together. It's my own simple way of saying, no, 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 we're all. We're all. If we come in contact with Jesus, it just has a way, has a way place of barrenness, a place of confusion. I said a third story. We didn't read a third story today because the third story is my story and the third story is your story. And maybe for you and for me, it is a place of barrenness. It's a place of death, a place of lost dreams and lost friends. A place of doubt, confusion, of fear, of ignorance. A place of you fill in the blank. It's important, friends, we know where we are. That's one of the questions God asks often. Where are you? God doesn't need to know. God knows we're exactly where you are. That question, like the question of the blind Bartimaeus right, the man who's been blind his entire life, who comes up to Jesus, and Jesus goes, what do you want? And you're like, are, are you the blind one, Jesus? He wants a sandwich. What do, you, what do you think he wants? Because that question wasn't for Jesus. That question was for Bartimaeus. Do you know where you are? Where are you? And listen, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Walked away from church for a season, come back, I'm a pastor. This, I'll be the first to say, has not always been the church, the safest place to name where you are. And when you're not in a place that is safe to name where you are, then it forms you into the kind of person who stuffs it way down deep. We've been formed. Many of us have been deeply formed in that way. It is not okay to not be okay. It's not okay to name the places of barrenness and the places of death the wild places. I have countless friends who have walked away from the church and have walked away from the ministry, and while I am grieved and deeply saddened, I don't blame them because of what they experienced. For too long, this has been a place you couldn't name where you are. Here's what I'll say. If you have ever experienced that here, if you've ever experienced it from me, if you've ever experienced it in the church, I am sorry. Because that is not who Jesus is. where are you that brings us to the second movement god speaks again sarah and abraham god speaks into a place of barrenness he god speaks life where there is death and this is not a quick fix the promise took time ups and downs people were hurt it was a pilgrimage the story reminds us that God is the God who speaks. My two favorite stories of this are in the prophet Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones in chapter 37, and the vision that Ezekiel receives of the temple. Is that on now? Oh, did, I, did this die? In the temple vision, uh, Ezekiel sees the temple, which is intended to represent the presence of God, and a river flows out, and it flows down throughout the land, and it makes its way to the Dead Sea, and when it comes in contact with the dead and salty places, in Ezekiel's vision, life begins to bubble forth where there was only death. There's so much life in the sea that villages and communities begin to pop up. God is a God who speaks life. It's Jesus standing outside of Lazarus' tomb. It's Jesus meeting Mary in the garden on Easter Sunday. It's Jesus walking with Peter on the beach. And the question I I find myself, especially of late, if I can be honest, asking, and I wonder if some of you might be asking the same, is do I have space for that kind of hope in my imagination of God and life with God here and now? God is the God who speaks life. God is the God who speaks life. And that does not mean we can avoid death because the only way to life is through death. God speaks into a place of barrenness. But with Nicodemus, God speaks into a place of confusion. And God, in this passage, speaks a lot. No one will see the kingdom without being born from above, born of spirit and water. The wind blows where the wind cho- chooses. A funny story, I was on a retreat at the beginning of this week, a little bit of training around some spiritual direction stuff, and I was sitting out one morning, and the breeze was blowing, and this passage came to mind, and I began to just thank Holy Spirit for the gentle nudge that is its breeze. And then just an immediately, like, immediately a big wind gust, and I was like, oh, yeah. And also sometimes the nudges are not quite as gentle. Thank you. Thank you for that. And every one of these statements that Jesus makes to Nicodemus, Jesus is correcting Nicodemus' prevailing assumptions. It's one of the central aims of all of Jesus' teachings, is to correct the prevailing assumptions of the day. It's part of the reasons why sometimes I just don't want to be with Jesus, because there are prevailing assumptions I have that feel safe. But in this story, a man in the shadows is confronted with the light. And Nicodemus instantly believes and follows Jesus, right? Wrong. It takes time. Nicodemus will have to deconstruct and reconstruct the answers to questions like, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the good news? And who am I? One of the things that Jesus says to him is, you need to be born again. And again, depending on what your church experience is, you probably either don't like that statement or it's become so familiar to you, you've forgotten what it means. Again, a funny story from college, I was so sort of tired of hearing it. You need to be born again and born again. And I remember hearing a, uh, a preacher at chapel say it and going on a big sign going, I'm enough. And my friend leans over and goes, you know Jesus said that, right? And I was like, <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten that Jesus was the original What Jesus means here is that to follow means a complete reorientation from above. God speaks into the place of barrenness. God speaks into the place of confusion. And so where is it that you need God to speak into? Maybe even a good place to start is where has God spoken? Where has God spoken life into the dead places? Where has God spoken and moved you from orientation to disorientation to reorientation? Where do you need God to speak? Again, friends, I can answer that for me, but I wonder for you. Finally, that brings us to our third movement. It's an invitation to let God in and to listen to God speak. I mentioned this in the pastoral words this week that a new friend of mine uh, asked the group of us what his favorite, he's like, guess my favorite three-letter word in the Bible. And there were some funny guesses. Acids in the Bible. Did y'all know that? It's in there. King James. Try to whisper it to the kids. Except my youngest. She'll she'll say in the car. But he says, uh, those are all really good guesses. Even somebody did the Sunday school answer, God, God's your favorite three-letter word. And He's like, no. He says it's let. As in, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. Let the little children come unto me. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Oftentimes I'll say here that God is not a God who wrangles. Jesus, both in the gospels and here and now, seems to be frequently inviting us to make a choice. Either we open the door or not, and it really is up to us. Because God is not a forceful bully who breaks in and grabs you by the collar. So because of thinking through that Jesus or excuse me, well, Jesus friend, but my new friend's favorite word has been really sticking with me. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit, Galatians 5. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts, Colossians 3. Let the wicked forsake their way, Let them return to the Lord, Isaiah 55. Let, which means do not prevent or forbid, but to allow. There's consent, there's moving aside, it's an act of humility, submission at its best. In other words, and this is what we actually mean when we talk about grace. That word grace uh, oftentimes gets flattened to just mean forgiveness. And yet in the scriptures, it is something multidimensional. To Jesus, grace is not just about forgiveness. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is the kind invasion of God's life into our own life. And so friends, we have a choice to name where we are, to do it in our own effort, or to create space to let God in. God knocks, we have a choice. And if we decide to let God in, God enters in with gentle grace, a grace that is healing and is restoring, is rearranging and renewing divine energy. It's God's life deepening into our life. It's one thing to know where we are in need of God and another to let God in. And so would you, would you let him in? Would you let Jesus in? to drop down with him into the deeper places. Maybe just to name where you are, but maybe if you're willing to ask for what you want. Jesus already knows. And if you can't ask, then trust, as Paul writes, that our groans and our longings, our prayers, more beautiful than anything we could ever write or read, Or say. And so I'm going to invite us to now just sit. If you'd like to, just close your eyes. If you don't want to, then don't. If you're willing to hear God ask, Where are you? I invite you just to name it. And if this is just too hard right now, then friend, do what you can, not what you can't. There's no pressure here. There's no no, one's gonna force you. Where are you? Most of us don't spend time down here, so it's gonna be a little clumsy. We're gonna knock things over. bounce around. God knows. And God in this space turns to you and says, what do you want, friend? What do you want? Hope comfort? Is it healing? Is it, what is it? Just offer that to him. This Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. We carve out space for prayers for healing and wholeness. So I'm gonna invite us to stay in this quiet space and move right into that space. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.